Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined this week, of course, by Jeremy Goldcorn, who's doing right by his woman and missing out on all the fun here in Beijing while he rusticates in Dixieland. How are you, Jeremy? <laughs> doing very well. Uh, rusticates is, you know, a term you Yankees would use about the city that you have no idea what it's like. <laughs> I, I, I reckon it's pretty rustic out there. Anyway, uh, so today we're going to talk about the upcoming visit to China of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who, of course, served from 2001 to 2014 as Chief Minister of Gujarat and was sworn in as Prime Minister one year ago this month. He'd actually promised to come to China within his first year as PM, and it looks like he's making good on that. He's going to arrive on the 14th of May, and、uh, he'll. Arrive in Xi'an, where President Xi Jinping will meet him, and he's going to visit a total of three Chinese cities over three days. His visit follows Xi Jinping's state visit to India last fall,、um, and also follows some summitry that Xi Jinping has done of late with India's regional arch rival Pakistan. In fact,、uh, Xi signed enormous infrastructure deals with Pakistan, valued at something like forty-six billion dollars. Uh, so back with us to talk about Prime Minister Modi's visit, the state of Sino-Indian relations, the state of things in the region more broadly, and the strange saga of Prime Minister Modi's foray <clears throat> onto Chinese social media, is Anath Krishnan, reporter for India Today, an old friend of the Cynica Podcast. Great to have you back on the show, Anath. Great to be back, Kaiser. And、uh, we'd also like to welcome for the first time Stuto Patronovis, who is.、Uh, Correspondent for the Hindustan Times, joining us on Seneca for the first time. So, welcome, warm welcome to you, Satirtha.、Uh, good to be here. So, we know that both of you are going to be outrageously busy once PM Modi arrives. So, I, I just want to say once again that we're super grateful that you took the time out of your schedules before the the hurricane hits、uh, to make time for us. Let's just start off and talk a little bit about, about what the agenda is.、Uh, what just the mechanics of it? What what's going to happen during these three days? Maybe Satirtha, you want to start us off. Uh, yeah, he's going to.、Uh, what we know about it is that he's、uh, going to directly touch down in Xi'an,、mm-hmm. uh, spend the day there.、Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, fly to Beijing fourteenth night. Fifteenth,、mm-hmm. uh, he's here, and then he goes to Shanghai. So he's flying out of Shanghai on the sixteenth. In between, like lot of meetings, lot yeah, of meetings. Yeah, I imagine so. Fifteenth,、uh, you know, you have the you know the bilaterals with Xi, with、uh, Premier Li, then Zhang Tejiang.、Uh, Series of meetings, Xi'an is going to be interesting because it's after a long time that any 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 Chinese a leader is taking a foreign leader to we can't really technically call it its hometown, his hometown, but to his ancestral home. Right, right. So I think it's happening after two thousand、uh, when Jiang Zemin had taken Jacques Chirac to his hometown in Yangzhou. And I think、so. um, Xi'an has meaning too, right? In addition to that, I mean, it was the terminus, after all, of the ancient Silk Road, at least the eastern terminus of, of the old Silk Road. Silk Road has been a phrase that's been bandied around a lot again、uh, during the Xi Jinping administration.、Uh, is there a significance here that you see, Anath? I think it's interesting, and it's also in some ways a little awkward, because on the one hand, they are harking back to this、uh, old Silk Road. And which China has been, as you know,、um, advertising over the past twelve months.、Uh, it is like a it's a powerful sort of cultural link between India and China, which is what they are invoking and referring to.、Uh, you know, the monk Xuanzang who traveled actually he traveled to Gujarat and he traveled. Oh, he to, did. Yeah, and he traveled to a place that was close to Narendra Modi's hometown. 
And uh, so this was something that I think she mentioned to Modi the first time they met. Uh, I think this was at the BRICS summit in Brazil. So that's when this whole thing started of, of Modi wanting to have, uh, you know, Xi Jinping come to Gujarat and then Xi Jinping reciproc reciprocating the gesture. It's sort of harking back to this old, you know, uh, cultural link between India and China. But why it's awkward is that uh, right now, as you know, it's, it's the center of the Silk Road economic belt which is, uh, I mean, a little bit of background. Um, as you know, you know, China has launched this massive One Belt and One Road initiative. Uh, the belt is something that starts in Shanxi and Xi'an and then goes to, uh, you know, to Pakistan and uh, Central Asia as well. Right. And the Maritime Silk Road is something that starts in Fujian and then, you know, uh, the, what they envisage is that it would link Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean as well. Now, India is, uh, you know, India has signed on to a part of this by you know by uh, becoming one of the founding members of the of the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, which is going to fund these projects, but at the same time, India is very worried about the Silk Road economic belt right. because it goes through Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. So this is sort of the elephant in the room in the sense that China has been pushing India to endorse these projects, and India hasn't. So it's it's funny that on the one hand they're trying to invoke this old cultural symbolism, but on the other, this is going to be an issue that they probably aren't going to talk about uh, when Modi and Xi are going to be in Xi'an. Interesting. That that is a very very interesting dynamic to it. So, how is this being perceived? This whole summary in India. Um, both of you have a, a foot there. Your 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 uh, in daily contact with people back home. Uh, um, people pay a lot of attention to the relationship in, in India, as I understand it. And there's a lot of anxiety over, but also a lot of familiarity with the various issues. Everything from uh, trade, uh, an imbalanced trade, to a uh, you know a couple of very serious unresolved border disputes. Uh, these are things that actually a lot of Chinese people are actually sort of shockingly ignorant of, but uh, are, are very much on the minds of Indians. What are the optics like around Modi's visit from India? I mean, maybe, Steve, you can give a shot. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest, a lot of interest in the media especially. Uh, I think there'll be uh, the television, news, uh, as in newspapers, everybody's going to be focusing on the visit. Uh, the focus will, a lot of it will be on the how much talk, how much progress is being made on the border issue. Sure. So that's that's one of the main things that will, you know, everybody would want to know if there is any outcome or if there is, you know, any, any sort of the talks are taken a little further. We have had 18 rounds of talks since 2005. We had few before that as well. But there seems to be very little movement in terms of what's happening. People do not really know. And uh, with... Arunachal Pradesh, which China says it's uh, claims it as South Tibet, coming into you know uh, uh, I would say media focus every now and then. Uh, there is a lot of interest in what's going to come out from uh, on on the border issue from this visit. What about Aksai Chin? Absolutely, but uh, it's uh, since Arunachal, you know, it's it's a state which is you know uh, it's Aksai an actual Indian state. Right? Absolutely, right. Aksai Chin has been under you know Chinese control for a long time, but Arunachal continues to be a, a state where elections are held, and you know it's considered to be it was a union territory. Now it's one of the you know main states. Jeremy, apparently some Chinese internet users at least are, are aware <laughs> of, of of that territorial dispute. Have you been following uh, Prime Minister Modi's? Uh, Weibo account? Weibo. Yeah. Well, sure. The, so, I mean, his first tweet was, what did it say? Ni hao, Zhongguo, hello, China. And I think the very first reaction, or at least the second, was, give us back South. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. Uh, what, 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 though, it, it's been covered, you know, a little more more sunnily in other media outlets. For example, the China Daily, not surprisingly, uh, they tended to emphasize, well, they emphasized almost entirely uh, how well-received it has been. Jeremy? 
think we lost Jeremy there. Well, okay, well, so we'll, we'll just move to you, Anath. Um, if you can talk about uh, this, you know, Cena Weibo account, um, what was the general sentiment as far as you could tell uh, on, on that account? How seriously can we take it? Was it just kind of goofy trolling for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would take it all that seriously. I mean, if you look at some of the comments that came out, there was a lot on Arunachal Pradesh. Uh, but I I, was, I found one comment that was hilarious was that <laughs> one Chinese artisan said, uh, you know, uh, uh, India is a part of China, which I'm still trying to uh, figure out what he meant. Yeah, I think he was being sarcastic. He was just making a ridiculously exaggerated territorial claim yeah, to just I mean, show the ludicrousness of a lot of, you know, China's exaggerated territorial claims. No, Kaiser, I think we've discussed this before as well. I'm a little, I mean, you know, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the way, uh, you know, Weibo and Weibo comments are used uh, as a news source. Uh, sure. Because I feel that it's, in a way, it's not very different from Twitter. Where, I mean, if you look at Modi's Twitter handle, look at reactions, you have Modi fanboys who say everything he does is great, but you also have people who hate Modi and say terrible things about him on Twitter. And I think it's just the nature of social media where you get these extreme comments, especially on Weibo as well, which is famous for that. Sure. So, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't ascribe too much to it. And I, I think it's a good thing that he's done. And I mean, if you speak to a lot of people in China beyond the crazy netizens, I think they think it's a good thing that he's reaching out to people in China and taking this step. It shows that he cares about what people in China think. So I think it's a smart thing that he's done. With, and, and I think that uh, it's surprising that no Indian leader did it before, but that's what makes Modi so, I mean, he's, well, he's very he's, savvy. He's very savvy about yeah. social media. He's, he's an active Twitter user himself, right? So I think that's also another point because he knew that, you know, once he's in China, he wouldn't be able to tweet. <laughs> so because it's blocked. So, you know, we're getting to a way yes, where was probably, yeah, you know, one way of sort of skirting around the thing. And anyway, his tweets are going to get like tweeted from Delhi. But from in, in China, he knew it might have caught a, uh, caused a bit of a diplomatic flutter if he was using a VPN and tweeting from a here. Twitter flutter. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter flutter, yeah. Good, so, good, good. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, there was another kind of line of, of, of comment on Weibo, uh, which was, of course, making fun of Lei Jun, Xiaomi's CEO and founder, uh, and, you know, who had actually gone to India just the prior week and had uh, debuted products there, stood on stage with my friend Hugo Barra and, uh, and, and you know, spoke English, well, a, a version of English. I'm, many people applauded him for, for, for trying. I think he deserves definitely a lot of credit for trying. He's not, you know, a particularly good English speaker, but uh, Denizens took to the airwaves and mocked him rather ruthlessly for, you know, it's, are you okay? But <laughs> well, I don't think, I mean, I mean I'll mean, i give credit to Lejun because, I mean, if you look at the reaction in India, I don't think anyone, I mean, people in China mocked him, but I mean, in India, I think the Xiaomi fanboys in India were delighted that he actually came out to a launch and it caused a lot of excitement in India, so... No, like I, think, yeah. I think it was better than what happened in January, right? When uh, I think Mi 4 was being launched in Delhi uh -huh. and a map was shown where Arunachal was shown as part of India. Oops. So there was <laughs> huge flutter on Weibo here. Right, right. I Massive remember that. reactions. So, yeah. So I think they're doing better now. Right. <laughs> Just avoid maps altogether. That's Absolutely. probably the, the, the yeah, smart thing. Absolutely. The Chinese companies don't Absolutely. seem to get that because it's not the first time. This is not the first time. I mean, it's right. not so hard. Just don't. Show a map. Launches I mean, in, in Vietnam that show the nine dashed line and things like that. That's not. That's I mean, show smart, the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Yeah. Show the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, but going back to the question of how this visit is, you know, being played in India, I think one interesting thing is that Modi has a huge advantage, which uh, which we haven't seen uh, other Indian uh, Indian leaders have in the past ten years. It's kind of the whole Nixon China argument. But right. I, I mean, I've, uh, I've, I mean, I found it interesting that in the last few months you've had so little of the China threat things coming out in the newspapers of border incursions. It still gets reported, but I feel it's to a much lesser degree than what it was 
when the Congress was in charge because it sort of fits the narrative. You have a weak government. In fact, Modi uh, tweeted uh, when he was, uh, you know, before he won the, about a year and a half ago, he said, you know, what kind of a government do we have? You know, the Pakistanis are, you know, shooting across the border. Incursions are taking place at will. He said that. Uh-huh. And then and fast forward a year and a half uh, and his defense minister says in parliament a few days ago that no incursion has taken place in three years. So square that, if you will. Very interesting. So, uh, I mean, so I mean, I think it's uh, the whole atmosphere has changed in the sense that I think it's a part of it is a Nixon-China logic. So that's why people are waiting to see if uh, I mean what uh, Modi can do with it. I think it's, I think in some sense it's exaggerated when people say, well, you have Modi and Xi, why don't you solve the boundary dispute? It's probably more complicated than that. But at the same time, I think that dynamic is still uh, at play as well. No, but interestingly, in September when she went to India, we had this, you know, at, at about the same time when he was in Delhi and in Gujarat. So there was this huge incursion thing as well. It was played up quite a bit uh, in during uh, Xi's visit to India. And headlines went as shadow of incursion over Xi visit and all that. So, but yeah, last few months probably... A little less. I'm really curious about sort of the corporate ambassadors to India from China these days. Um, you know, in, in the past, we've tended to see stories about how Chinese companies have run up against serious obstacles. Huawei, for example, uh, ZTE, big big obstacles. But Xiaomi seems to be making very, very strong inroads into China. Uh, and th- th- there's a lot of fans. Uh, you you just made a reference to to Xiaomi fanboys. Can you talk a little bit about that? About I mean, how maybe this is is a harbinger of changing perceptions about Chinese products, about Chinese technology. Well, uh, I would say I've been to India a couple of times in the last few months uh, to different parts of India, mm-hmm. and Xiaomi, as it is called in India, uh-huh. is 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 becoming popular. It is definitely becoming popular as a, you know a cheap smartphone mm-hmm. with you know sleek looks and good qualities there's no doubt about it and it's probably one of the first chinese products unlike huawei right. which is more into telecom yeah, it's a b2b company exactly right, right, b2b right. company so it's it's uh, this is for the first time probably uh, people are seeing a product which they can use not a toy or a battery or something which is breakable and it's being appreciated and there is a huge market for it in india it's also Xiaomi's branding, uh, both in China and in India. I mean, it's in, in some ways, I think it's smart. It's like the uh, antithesis of Huawei in the sense that it's the way it positions itself. It's uh, I don't know how true it is because obviously they have government support as well in different areas. But they position themselves as this innovative, you know, startup company. And the way they've hired people in India as well. The India rep is a guy who's like, you know, he shows up to launch events wearing like a tracksuit uh, and, you know, I mean, it's the whole way they've uh, branded themselves. It's the exact opposite of Huawei. I mean, in India, Huawei, I mean, just even, I mean, it, it invokes this, you know, shadowy company that's <laughs> exactly. doing like, you know, big uh, contracts for state government. Right. They are in- inherently really kind of security sensitive to begin with. So, right. yeah. you know, which did Xiaomi did face a bit of a trouble with that as well. But I think they've it sort of tied it over. It does help to have a, you know, a founder who appears to be a human being compared to Huawei, <laughs> who's, you know, he's a kind of James Bond villain who never comes out of his head. It's funny that you should say that's... that. That I mean, it, it's it, years ago I'd written a story about Xiaomi where, uh, where in Jinfei, uh, we, we were talking about that. And I talked to um, a, a very, you know, a well-known uh, Beltway insider guy who, who who is actually... A story about Huawei, you mean? Yeah, a story about Huawei where... where um, 
he had said to me, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, is, is, is probably the closest thing to a cold warrior you had in the tech community. He was even speaking of in, defensively of Huawei saying, yeah, I have to push back a, a, on a lot of guys who, who he mentioned Huawei and the imagine, you know, and he said the James Bond villain. Yeah. A guy, you know, sitting on a, uh, stroking a white Persian cat in a floating volcano island headquarters. And yeah, I mean, so it's funny that you should say that. Legion evokes nothing like that. I mean, people mock him sometimes for having imitated Steve Jobs a little too closely. But yeah. Anyway, um, away from Xiaomi now. And to Pakistan. Um, Let's let's talk about the the, the Sino-Pakistani <clears throat> relationship. The Modi trip, as I as I mentioned, comes very soon on the heels of Xi Jinping signing enormous infrastructure deals with Pakistan, totaling, I think the number was forty six billion dollars they, they were talking about, and it features a highway project, major dams, um, a lot more, uh, you know, optical fiber, um, just just all sorts of stuff happening. Uh, but, and also some rhetoric. Um, China uh, declared that Pakistan was an all weather. Uh, well, they've used friend. that before. They've, they've used all weather strategic uh-huh. friend, as close as lips and teeth, as they've said before. And no, this was new. To the, the, the exact phrasing was new. All this weather? Time. No, I don't think so. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I mean, okay. I, maybe they've used you know a strategic partner or, or weather before, but the the combination was completely new. It was a new TIFA, uh, which they declared. But despite protests to the contrary, actually the the relationship between Pakistan and, and China, whatever you want to call it, all weather or whatever, it's actually quite fraught, right? I mean, uh, there are serious I, issues. I may correct myself there. I, I just uh, kind of looked it up. And so uh, they've used the words all weather, you know, for decades, I think. But uh, the uh, official Xinhua announcement was China and Pakistan decided on Monday to lift bilateral ties to all weather strategic partnership of cooperation. Oh, yeah, How yeah. That's that? that's obviously much <laughs> So, again, all weather strategic cooperation of partnership of cooperation. Best. Buddies ever or BFF or something. Yeah, yes. partnership yeah. of cooperation means so much more than a cooperative partnership, right? It's, right. it's blindingly obvious, right? <laughs> this is the stuff that you guys have to deal with every day as journalists yeah. writing about this, right? <laughs> more of it. I want more of it. <laughs> Let it come. <laughs> well, as I was saying, uh, it's actually quite a fraught relationship. Uh, Jeremy, how are you doing on time? I know that you, you had... I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to get out of here and, um, you know, um, go and shoot my rifle. Um, okay. So, uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm really sorry to do this, but we had a bit of a timing issue, but I'm no doubt the rest of the discussion will be delightful. Then so I will see you soon. Idea. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. See you, Jeremy. Anyway, uh, let's continue. We were, we were talking about how, yeah, the Pakistani-Chinese relationship actually does have some problems, and it's mainly around allegations... Uh, by Beijing uh, that Pakistan is, in fact, in, especially in the tribal areas, harboring uh, organizations that are, are um, well, you know, working to separate uh, the Xinjiang autonomous region, you know, uh, what they call East Turkestan, the East Tur- Turkestan Islamic Movement, in, in, uh, a, a terrorist organization. Um, first of all, how serious of an issue is this between Islamabad and Beijing and um if you if you have a take on this, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Uh, every time uh, China, Beijing tends to sort of, you know, uh, I think exaggerate the ETIM threat a little. Mm-hmm. But whenever the question arises about, you know, violence in Xinjiang, uh, ETIM comes up. And then uh, when the question is put to uh, Chinese officials about, you know, so what are you doing? They're supposed to win Pakistan. They say that we are in talks. Immediately after that comes the fact that Pakistan is also equally a victim of terrorism. 
and the Pakistani That's army. That's the standard formulation. Absolutely, right, right, right. Pakistani army and the Pakistani government are doing a lot to and you know to you know to fight against terrorism. They are victims as well, and we are with them all the time. So you know, all weather, all weather, <laughs> so. strategic cooperative. I think it's. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to actually say with some sense of certainty what exactly the ETIM problem is because there's so little information about it. Uh, obviously, I mean, I think intelligence agencies do know that there are these people in these camps that are in Pakistan and Afghanistan, but we don't know their capability of actually carrying out a, an attack in Xinjiang. And most right. of the events that have taken place in Xinjiang seem to be pretty crude events. With Long with axes and sticks. Right. They've been and able knives. to smuggle in yeah, jihadist yeah. banners, but somehow not anything more than a machete. Right? But, but I yeah. think the larger, yeah. the larger issue is, even if it actually is an issue for China, I think the rift between Pakistan and China on this issue has been exaggerated. And I think in part in India as well, maybe it's wishful thinking. Um, I think the China-Pakistan relationship is as close as ever. And uh, I, the, the the one question that people have is there's always been a gulf between the rhetoric, you know, this higher than the Himalayas, deeper than the deepest ocean, and sweeter than honey. Is that, Actually, this is official Nawaz Sharif's quote, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, <laughs> no, but actually, it hasn't been matched by assistance. I mean, uh, before this huge uh, supposed 46 billion investment, the U.S. was putting in more money into Pakistan, and Chinese companies, frankly, were not doing as much as what the rhetoric claimed that they were doing. So I think, but why the Xi, the Xi visit is interesting is... Uh, the perception is, is, I mean, the question is, is this going to change now? Because, uh, you know, this China's strongest leader in a long time has put his personal backing to this project, which he personally flagged off when he visited. Mm -hmm. So now this this whole project is also being described by China as a flagship of the Silk Road. So China seems to be investing a lot in this. So it makes you wonder if actually, they, I mean, it's going to be difficult for them to sort of uh, not push this to, you know, to its conclusion. Right. Are either of you seeing any evidence of nervousness in Islamabad, though, about uh, what appears to be warming relationships uh, between be, between New Delhi and Beijing? Well, none so far, I would okay. say. None so far. I mean, the... Uh, the, the nothing the in dawn, nothing... That, nothing nothing much in the newspapers there. Uh, no uh, no apprehension that, you know, Beijing and New Delhi are suddenly, you know, bum chums and all that. No, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that's happening. But I think I there think was a, there was some I think there was some anxiety in the sense that they really wanted Xi Jinping to visit and they just couldn't wait for Xi Jinping to visit because uh, when Xi Jinping went to India last September he didn't go to Pakistan because his visit had to be cancelled because of protests that were taking place then so and then uh, the the Pakistanis were lobbying very hard to get Xi to visit in March when they were planning to have this big military parade. Which And finally, she never went there, even though most of the Pakistani papers reported that he was going to be the chief guest, which was a bit of an embarrassment because Wang Yi actually traveled to Pakistan to sort of look at security arrangements. And then funnily enough, when he came back to China, there were no announcements. <laughs> so clearly he didn't like what he saw. So, uh, but I think it was, they, were, they just couldn't wait for Xi to visit. And I think the Xi visit would have at least just put their minds at ease because they have something to actually show for more than, you know, empty sort of rhetoric. Yeah, but you know, what they've been talking about is a $46 billion number. Is it, how solid is this? I mean, is 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 it likely that we're going to really, you know, start seeing Chinese construction teams working on dams and in, in the coming months? It's it's a lot of money. And, and uh, the economic corridor that's supposed to be built from uh, Kashgar, near Kashgar to mm -hmm. Gwadar, mm -hmm. uh, cuts across not POK and, and places which are, which have to be really manned well, you know, you know, to build such a corridor. That's Pakistani occupied Kashmir. Through that. POK, I mean, that, right. keep, uh, that, it's an issue in itself. Right. And then to maintain, to build that such a long corridor to basically build roads 
and maintain them, ensure that there is no attack in Balochistan, it's it's not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to wait and watch. But I am personally skeptical about 46 billion because we've had a pattern of Pakistani officials announcing huge numbers from China. And uh, to this day, China hasn't verified 46 billion, even though I've asked this question a hundred times to various officials. <laughs> the foreign ministry and retired, uh, you know, no one has verified this number in China. And two years ago, when the Pakistan announced like a 30 billion investment in infrastructure, and the president came and signed a deal with Xi Jinping and following the signing ceremony, I asked a pretty senior Chinese official, where is this 30 billion? And he looked at me and said, well, do you see it in any of the agreements? And I was like, no. So then he just sort of smiled and walked away. <laughs> so I don't think China is stupid. I don't think China is stupid with its money. So I mean, I'm sure they're going to be careful about where they put their money. Absolutely, they they will be. Uh, what is going to come out of? I mean, we've talked about now the the Pakistani uh, promises, but what about it in in uh, the new Sino-Indian summitry? Do we expect new uh, industry verticals? To, I mean, it's been the old paradigm of Chinese hardware and Indian software uh, in, in the past. What's 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 new on the horizon for us here? Uh, I think a lot of focus during this uh, this visit will be on uh, you know that if, uh, Modi probably will tell Xi that look. It's been a long time. It's for a long time that we've been sending you the raw materials and then buying the finished products. Right. It's time. Uh, come and make it in India. Right. We'll, we'll ensure. India. Yeah. We'll we'll ensure that you get the land, get the infrastructure. You know, get power, get uh, you know, uh, ease of access to you know resources. But what you need to do is set up industry bases and make things there. Then you sell it anywhere in India. Bring it back to China. Take it to the rest of the world. With rising labor costs in China, that sounds like it would make a lot of sense. But Anant, you've been talking to Chinese entrepreneurs uh, um, who are looking to do just that to 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 leverage relatively inexpensive and and, and qualified Indian labor. What's happening? I think they were very encouraged by Xi Jinping's visit to India last September because both sides came out with this ambitious five-year blueprint Mm -hmm. for economic ties. China said it's going to invest $20 in India over this time, uh, which would be focused on two industrial parks dedicated to Chinese companies that are coming up in Gujarat, which is Modi's home state, and in Maharashtra. But actually, if you look and see what's transpired from September till now, which is almost nine months, I think very little has actually changed on the ground, is what Chinese investors tell me, that they were very encouraged by Make in India, but they all they've received so far is like you know presentations that that sort of taken stuff from the internet saying India's strengths are in these sectors and you know India needs infrastructure. This isn't something new for them. They're waiting to see real policies, and so I think the clock is ticking for the Modi government because they've said the right things. But I think people in India too are kind of asking the question: Well, it's time to sort of actually see changes on the ground. I know it's only been a year, but I mean he has a five-year term. It's not he doesn't have a ten-year term mm. like some other people do. No, but what about other areas where India is really strong? like pharmaceuticals is there anything any movement on that part i think the two governments have been discussing this for a few years now you know to get indian pharmaceutical companies uh, you know get access to the chinese market mm. they make generic drugs which are cheaper right. and and they, indian drugs are exported worldwide yes absolutely so uh, so you know uh, uh, the chinese market would be pretty lucrative to them as well but probably and i think that will be a, an important part of the discussion agenda when modi comes here I think there are a lot of Chinese men who will be very happy to see the availability of of, of, of relatively inexpensive and effective Indian Cialis and and, uh, yeah, and Viagra. Sure. Right? So that would be sort of Indians helping Chinese hardware, as it were. <laughs> Indian software. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, right. Either way, it's a win-win Moving situation. Moving it from software it's to a, hardware. It's a, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely. Another win-win situation. 
Chini Hindi bye bye. No. <laughs> now, um, what what about uh, what about another thing? I mean, I, I talked to all my friends who grew up, you know, who were in their forties, and uh, they grew up on a steady diet of mostly Urdu, but some Hindi language films, mostly from from Pakistan, but you know, South Asian uh, film, some Bollywood as well. Well, you know, that's the other great powerhouse export for for India. Why why isn't there? Why aren't we seeing you know great Bollywood films? You know, displacing this superhero crap. You know, when I first moved, I have to just, uh, you know, when I first, <laughs> it's a f- funny story. When I first moved to Beijing, uh, taxi drivers would ask, oh, are you from India? Is Hindu? I say, yeah. And then they would say, ah, oh, Abalagu, Abalagu. And I was like, what are, they, what are they talking about? And then I realized that there's this film called Awara, uh-huh. which was a really, really popular 1950s Indian film. And everyone in China knows this song. Right. I mean, you hear top officials saying uh, Abalagu. And, uh, and uh, no, I mean it's uh, it basically means I'm a vagabond. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I think they love the fact that in Hindi. You know, in I Hindi. mean it was a it was a it was a fascinating contrast. I mean, people Socialist. have told me this from the communist uh, ideological films that they were forced to watch in the seventies. They didn't have access to Western films, so I mean, if you were Chinese, on one hand you could choose like heavily, you know, Maoist propaganda, and the other you had a film about a vagabond who is wandering the streets, and which which falling essentially in love. talking about you know a socialist, uh, idealistic socialism. In fact, the movie. It was all about, you know, the rich and poor divide. Right. But well, they always are. Right? Yeah. That's so yeah. It, it, it was about that, not a heavy propaganda. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say. But I think to, to, to uh, one, uh, the Chinese government, I think, banned, uh, not think, banned Indian films from being shown in China commercially for, for many, many years. Now that there is a quota system, which is mostly filled up by Hollywood movies. Right. So I think the government of India and the Chinese government are talking about it, but it's a private uh, you know, production it's ultimately houses. Market driven, yeah, they right. have to. They have to have to take the initiative and you know try to push through. Mm, okay. No, and I think when you have a quota of what, twenty or now thirty films, frankly, I mean, I've asked Chinese distributors, why don't you invest in Indian films? They say, well, there's no way they're going to make. You know, if you look at if Fast and Furious Seven is is the kind of film that they want, it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs, but it's, it's that is what it is. Yes. I mean, if you have Fast and Furious Seven, you're not going to bring in. Uh, a Bollywood film, but, but that's why they're working around this by getting into co-production agreements. It's something that was signed last year, and we're going to see that go forward with the film. The big film going to be announced uh, about Xuanzang, a co-production film, and you know these don't fall under quotas. So this is a way to work around it to bring Indian films into China. Speaking with, of Indian films, I think there are some cultural events happening around the summit as well. Isn't that, isn't that correct? I think one event that I'm looking forward to is the launch of this uh, an Indian film that I quite liked uh, called PK, which uh, starred uh, Amir Khan, I think probably the most well-known Indian, uh, current Indian star in China today. Is, is, is he well-known? I mean, Three Idiots, everyone's seen that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Chinese love Three Idiots. And so they're going to launch PK in Chinese with the well-known Chinese actor Wang Baoqiang to do the main voice. They have this big launch event. Just, uh, I think, just it's, uh, coinciding with the Modi visit. I don't think Modi is going to have any role in this. Uh, besides that, the other thing is that there's going to be an interesting few events on yoga, which is a big thing for Modi. I mean, he's been pushing it in a big way, uh, and I think they're going to have a big yoga, uh, a joint yoga tai chi demonstration. Oh, Five hundred people in the temple of heaven. So uh, wow, that will be visually very, visually very arresting. Visually, yeah. yeah, I think that's a trademark of Modi visits. I think visually they've been fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's gonna have a big mm-hmm. Indian community reception in Shanghai. They're gonna at the Shanghai Expo Center. There's gonna be maybe several thousand Indians from all over mainland China and Hong Kong traveling just to see 
Prime Minister Modi. I mean, wow. it's, it's going to be fascinating for a foreign leader to have a huge political. I mean, it, it is a political event in some ways. I mean, do we know China, what the, the the Indian expatriate population in China is right now? See, I, I think it's eleven thousand students, and wow. yeah, uh, I would say about what forty. I think it's 40, about 11,000 students in addition about 20,000, 20, uh, which is not a roughly. huge number. The thing is Hong number. Kong, I mean, this isn't counting Hong Kong. And Hong okay, Kong has right. a huge... Uh, right. Hong Kong is a huge... Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong has a huge... And I think a lot population. of people from Hong Kong are coming over as well for this event. Now, interestingly, so. the movie that's been currently shot, which is a joint production movie... The Xuanzang movie, right? No. Oh, no. Uh, a Jackie Chan movie, which is currently being shot in India, is a fantastically innovative name called Kung Fu Yoga. It sounds <laughs> terrible. It sounds <laughs> awful. It's, it's, it sounds it's truly currently awful. being shot, and so it's going so, to be it's a like Shaolin soccer. soccer. No, actually, like Shaolin soccer was, uh, I mean, it had its moments. No, but Kung Fu Yoga just sounds like, I mean, it, it, it would be like the most cliched movie title that anyone well, could it's, it's got a lovely Indian heroine. Okay, well, uh, it's, uh, it sounds to me a little bit like a cynical attempt to exploit, you know, a burgeoning warming. I've heard that the people but who that, are working that, with Shwanzang seem pretty proud of it. It's yeah, they have a, apparently yeah. they have a release date already. Yeah, so. that, that is a, that's, a, that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to want to see. Well, kids, that's, that's our show. That's great. I, you know, I, we, we do have, at the end of our show, we have recommendations that we make. Um, this is great. I mean, it's always a, a pleasure to have you, and, and, and we're going to... Certainly have you back on uh, again every anytime there's anything of, of interest with South Asia. Uh, let's let's talk recommendations. Do you have something for us this week? I think on uh, an issue that we've spoken about, there's a great book on China and Pakistan that just came out a while ago by Andrew Small of the German Marshall Fund. Oh, sure. And yeah. it's called The China-Pakistan Axis. And I think it's a really good book that looks back at 30, 40 years of the relationship, what makes it take and he also cuts through the rhetoric you know and uh, sort of presents a very detailed well-researched book of how things actually are so i'd recommend that to people who are interested in china india and pakistan great that sounds like a very good one andrew small's book and i would say i mean i haven't read uh, the last two books but i would say you know amitav ghosh's the ibis trilogy which deals a lot with uh, it's a three book trilogy starts with the sea of poppies river of smoke and the final one is just out called the uh, flood of fire so it deals with india china and the opium wars oh so really it's, interesting it's set in the 19th century and so a lot of it is about myriad characters and how uh, the british the east india company was exporting uh, opium from india to china and it revolves around that so it's a three book thing the final one is just out and i think it's it's a fascinating read that sounds absolutely fascinating. I definitely want to check that out. Um, my mine has nothing to do whatsoever with Sino Indian relations. Uh, I, I just found a, a, a tremendous uh, rap video uh, in the genre of of, of Lawai rap videos. I don't know if you guys remember um, some months ago or maybe a couple. It may have been years ago. Uh, I recommended a a video called. Um, uh, Beijing State of Mind, which was you know the Jay Z side song, yeah, New yeah, York yeah, State of Mind. Well. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's the, it's the same guy who's behind this, um, and it's it's possibly even funnier. No, it, it's it's definitely it's it's so good. Uh, it's called it's the next episode. It's the uh, Snoop Dogg and uh, well, I guess Snoop Lion now and um and uh, Dr. Dre song next episode. Uh, it's I think the best in the genre. <laughs> it's hysterical. It's it's so well done. Uh, I thanks to Bill Bishop for 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 catching that for me i think the author of it doesn't want to be outed although if you are on my facebook page i think he, he owns ownership of it there but uh, a shout out to him uh, and respect that was just so well done 
So uh, thanks, thanks so much. I think uh, this is this is this has been very informative. I think uh, it'll be very very useful to our, our listeners, and hopefully we'll put this out ahead of the actual visit so that it won't be past tense. Um, in fact, uh, we'll definitely. So Stuart, thanks you, thank you so much for, for joining us, and uh, as, uh, as usual, and uh, we will see you folks next week on Cynic Podcast. Take care. Oh, 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 o